been in the labor movement 50 years. And I can tell you, I've never been more optimistic than I am sitting here right now talking to you. What we're saying is we're going to change the rules here a little bit. We're going to elect people that are going to help us write rules that workers win. We know better than anyone else how racism is used to divide working people. We've seen how companies set workers against workers. They throw white workers a few crumbs. They discriminate against black workers or Latino workers, and we all, we all end up losing. But we've seen something else, too. We've seen that when we have the courage, the good sense, the trade union values to cross the color line and stand together, arms locked, no one, no one has ever been able to keep us down. That strike lasted almost a year and not a single mine worker crossed the picket line. The day before he passed, he had called me advocating on behalf of electricians in the CWA. And I was at an event that day in New York City. And I instantly told him I called right back. I made some phone calls. I spoke to my team and I called Richard Trumper back and I talked to him about that. And he was on vacation, he was camping. And I didn't know that, but he said, thanks brother. Appreciate you getting right back to me. And we hung up. And then the next day, I got a phone call that he had passed away. He was fiery. He was not afraid to have the word militant applied to <laughs> <laughs> uh, as opposed to, say, a, a previous occupant of the office. Rich was somebody who was comfortable on a picket line. Yeah, he was somebody who was comfortable engaging in civil disobedience, as he did during the Pittston strike, uh, along with striking members of his union back in 1988. There were a lot of high hopes for him. He came from miners of democracy. He came from a bottom-up union. So there was a lot of hope, myself and others, that he would push for more member involvement. He would push for the power of union democracy, push for more nonviolent civil disobedience and labor, push for national solidarity for major strikes. And really none of that happened. May I and all my co-conspirators in this work honor him by continuing the fight because as he would say it, we ain't done yet. Rest in power, brother. Rest in peace, brother. We'll take it from here. Welcome to a special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. Our usual selection of highlights from the nearly 150 shows in the Labor Radio Podcast Network will be out later this week. But today we've put together excerpts from some of the network shows that focused on AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka, who died in early August of this year. In a year when we lost so many, it's still hard to believe that Rich, who walked so many picket lines, who thundered forth at so many rallies, is really no longer with us. So it was a special honor to listen through the labor radio shows and podcasts that paid tribute to Rich Trumka, to hear the old stories and some new ones, and to hear his voice once again. We begin with the AFL-CIO's own podcast, State of the Unions, which talked with a characteristically optimistic Trumpka in 2018, followed by a 2020 Labor Day interview on America's Workforce Radio. Then, labor historian Joe McCartan, who we'd invited onto the August 5th Your Rights at Work show to discuss the 40th anniversary of the PATCO strike, reacts to Trumpka's death that morning. We go back to the State of the Union's podcast and America's Workforce Radio for thoughts on Trumpka's life and legacy from Secretary of Labor Marty Walsh and the nation's John Nichols. Then it's out to the Northwest for reactions on the ground on the Working to Live in Southwest Washington podcast. And on Labor Express Radio, labor educator Stephen Ashby casts a critical eye on Trumpka's legacy. Finally, we wrap up with the Labor History Today podcast, where Rich Trumpka, who rose to national prominence when he led the 1988 Piston strike, recounts just how the mine workers won that historic strike. I'm Chris Garlock. 
and I hope you enjoy and share this very special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly. As always, to hear more labor shows, go to laborradionetwork.org. You can search by name, topic, and even location. Here's the show. This is State of the Unions. We're very proud and honored to be joined by our fearless leader, President Rich Trumka. President Trumka, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You bet. You talked about when you, you would know unions are on the rise. And a couple of things you said, you said when more union members fill the halls of power and when working people realize our own value, that's when you'll know unions are on the rise. After this election and taking stock of the whole year, how do you feel about the union movement right now? I feel exceptionally good about it. I'm very, very bullish and optimistic about the labor movement. First of all, we organized 262,000 new members last year. Mm-hmm. We had 75% of them were under the age of 35. That means young people are coming to the labor movement understanding that it is their ticket to a better life and, and a better economy. I think all the signs are there in every form whether it's Black Lives Matter, the Me Too movement, the teachers movement, young workers coming together to stop violence. All of those are collective action where people are saying, the only way we're going to get this done is if we stand, lock arms with the people standing next to us. And when they do that, nothing can stop us. So me, I've been in the labor movement 50 years. And I can tell you, I've never been more optimistic than I am sitting here right now talking to you. You know, one of the things just anecdotally that Tim and I have talked about a lot on this podcast is the diversity of our movement, is how the leadership here at the AFL-CIO under your direction has brought in young people, has given young people like me and Tim opportunities to be leaders. And just with what you just said, I, I hope people start to understand why we are where we are, because it's an honor to work in this movement and to to work with you truly. And you just said it all. You know, Julie, uh, I got elected president of mine workers when I was 33 years old. I was young, young. You were young. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I got an opportunity. My membership said, give them a chance. Mm-hmm. And then they supported me. And I've taken that to heart ever since. Mm-hmm. I've never looked at a person's age and said, they're too young. I look at their ability and say, let's give them a chance. And let's help them. Let's mentor them. Mm-hmm. And I don't care where you come from where your background is, where your daddy or mommy grew up, where you did, what you look like, who you love or who you worship, you ought to have the same opportunities. And when we can emphasize that to our members and our members start demanding it and speaking up against it when they see obstacles, impediments, or attempts to prevent us from getting there, I think we all win. I think we have a better country. The country's really divided today. And the election sort of reinforced that. What role do you see for the labor movement in uniting the country? You know, when it came to every one of the isms, the labor movement has to be at tip of the spear, not in the middle of the spear. Because if you're going to break racism, the labor movement has to be at the point of that spear. Any of the isms that's out there, we have to be at the tip of it. The same thing with dividing people. We live with solidarity. We live because we come together. And if the country would look at us and the example that we set with our solidarity, they'd know that you can't stand divided. A nation divided simply won't stand very long. And the polarization that we're seeing, unfortunately, is being fed by by politicians for their own benefit. Some, they want to create fear. They want to create havoc so that you have to look to them. Only I have the answer. And so they create that fear and try to use it to their advantage. I think that's totally unacceptable, and it's totally un-American, if you will. Our country's strongest when we stand together. Our labor movement is strongest when we stand together. And so it's going to take us, I think, being willing to, to take a little bit of a risk and extend a hand, because somebody's got to do it. And everybody's afraid to do it. I think we must be the, the ones because no one else will. What would be the first step in doing that, you think? I think actually starting to talk to people. 
Talk to people you disagree with. Talk to people that look a little different than you. Talk to people with people, not at them. Talk with people uh, that worship different than you, that look different, that love different than you do. All of those things. So did you understand that we have so much more in common than we have that divides us? Mm -hmm. We shouldn't let the few things that we disagree on separate us as a nation. This has been State of the Unions. Thanks for listening. Join us every other week for a conversation about the labor movement, organizing, and all things that affect us at work. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and rating us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, keep up to date on all things labor by following us on Twitter at AFL-CIO. Hey, here it is, Labor Day, and we got the guy, Rich Trumka. Welcome back to America's Workforce. Thanks, Flash. Thanks for having me back, and happy Labor Day. Happy Labor Day to you. You've been busy, busy, busy. I am so happy that you carved out some time, a very special day for all workers, union and non-union. We always say if it wasn't for the union, you wouldn't have an eight-hour day. You wouldn't have weekends. You wouldn't have paid vacations. You wouldn't have sick leave. We can go on and on and on. It's it's the union difference. I have to start out asking you, how are you doing? I, I know you're busy. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh the message from Richard Trumka. Unions, I know, are very, very in favor, in vogue today. What are you feeling out there, Rich? Uh, I, I've never been more confident or optimistic, Flash. I really haven't. You're seeing more collective action going on out there. Our, our approval ratings, the union approval ratings, are the highest they've been in over 50 years. More people want to join the union than ever before. Over 60 million people say they'd join a union today if they were given the chance. So I'm optimistic. You have young people that are getting involved. You have seniors that are getting involved. And you have people in between that are getting involved. Men, women, people of color, and everybody else saying, we want and we need a voice on the job. Give us a union. So I tell you, I haven't been this excited and optimistic in a lot of years. So, Rich, talk to me about the pandemic here. Has has COVID-19 been a game changer in what you just said here on the air? Is that is that what's happening right now? Well, I, I think the pandemic's shown a couple of things. First of all, it's demonstrated what we always knew, uh, that there's systemic racism in the system, because people of color are getting hit harder uh, by the, the pandemic than anybody else. It also shows that workers are considered expendable. Uh, they call us uh, heroes. They call us essential workers. And yet they order us back to work. Like Trump ordered people back to work uh, in a meatpacking plant and didn't give them any PPE, any personal protective equipment. And so thousands of them got infected. I get the emails every day from the Labor Federation, this by union build power campaign. I was quite fascinated by that. Can you um, give me the strategy behind that? It sounds like this was an educational experience, an economic experience. Talk to me about that part, Rich. Well, first of all, look, uh, let, let me start off with just basic economics, uh, the theory. Uh, they've been telling us for years that the economy is like the weather, right? There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. But the economy is not like the weather. The economy is nothing but a set of rules. Those rules are made by the men and women that we elect. And those rules decide the winners and the losers. And for four decades, those rules have been made for us to lose. Uh, and so what we're saying is we're going to change the rules here a little bit. One, we're going to elect people that are going to help us write rules that workers win, you know, pass the PRO Act, have a fair trade uh, system, have taxes that encourage people to produce here a tax system and, and does all of that. And, and then we're starting to elect our own. We're running thousands and thousands of union members to run for public office so that they can help us change the rules. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com. This is a public service. Announcements with guitar. Know your right. Oh, Number one, you have the right.
Hi, it's Chris Garlock, and welcome to Your Rights at Work. Workers around the world were shocked and saddened to hear that Richard Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO, passed away this morning at the age of 72. Let's start with uh, our resident labor historian, Joe McCartan. Uh, Joe, thanks for taking the time to be with us today, and uh, I'm, I'm sorry I had to... Uh, to be the bearer of this news for you this morning, but I, I need to get you to, uh, I originally asked you to come on to talk about the 40th anniversary of, of PATCO. I have a feeling that, that these things may be, uh, we can probably connect these things, but uh, Joe, what are your thoughts? Well, well, Chris, uh, I was shocked when I got your call a short time ago. Um, I think anybody who knew Rich and worked with him and, and saw him in recent times, uh, knew him to be a really vigorous, energetic uh, person. And, and that was uh, my last encounter with him was just on the telephone, but he sounded just so much in sound health and um, so much ready for the, the fight that, that's now being waged to pass the PRO Act in Congress, which was a subject of the call that we had and and really optimistic he was going to get it done. So I think those of us who, who have known him are just in utter shock today to to realize he's so suddenly taken from us. No, and that's the thing is, is you know, I was just thinking he he has been so, so outspoken, particularly I, I've been thinking over the last year during the pandemic. I mean, you know, this is a guy who's been a fighter, and I want to get into this somewhat because he has such a fascinating uh, history, and we we have some uh, audio from uh, from a uh, AFL-CIO's podcast that gets into some of that. And you and uh, you did a great interview with him for the Labor History Podcast, uh, which frankly we will run again uh, this Sunday. Uh, Labor History Today. Um, he's a huge fan of, of history. I really understood his history. Uh, and, and a real fighter. And as you say, you know, he was one of these folks, you know, when you saw him at a, at a rally, uh, he's not a, he wasn't really a guy who, who, you know, read out a speech. He, he was, I think fiery is a good word, right? Oh, absolutely. He was fiery. He was not afraid to have the word militant applied to, <laughs> <laughs> uh, as opposed to say a, a previous occupant of the office, George Meany. Right. Um, that Rich was um, somebody who was comfortable on a picket line. Uh, he was somebody who was comfortable engaging in civil disobedience, as he did during the Pittston strike, uh, along with um, striking members of his union back in 1988. In fact, it was uh, to, to mark the anniversary of that strike that you and I had a long conversation with him now, not quite three years ago. And um yeah, I think Rich was was a fiery person. He he was also a gentleman, and he was also a scholar. Yes, uh, he yes. Was to this, um, and this would I think surprise a lot of people that he was a great student of history, um, and he loved reading not just labor history, um, but the history of the Civil War, for example. Uh, he read many many. Uh, historical accounts. And, you know, he was really a student of, of history, as you'd like to see from somebody in a, a position of great power and authority, as he had that he looked to the past for, you know, lessons and guidance for how to navigate um, uh, in the present. Another important point, I think, about regarding Rich's courage is that in July of 2008, in the midst of that presidential campaign, Barack Obama uh, as the first black candidate of a major party, um, Rich came out and uh, in a very courageous way called out the racism that's, that existed in the country and in, indeed even in parts of the labor movement. That's right. Uh, and said, we need to fight against it. Um, and um, uh, again, a lot of people who were more circumspect or lacked the courage that Rich had would have left that alone. But Rich charged right into the issue. And I think, you know, showed a great deal of courage and, and you know, I think can take some credit for how the union movement performed for Obama in 2008. Let me just share, uh, I was looking at, at, at my inbox is full of, of folks who have been uh, sending in messages and statements uh, about Rich Trump. Uh, 
This is from Andy Levin. He was uh, worked for the AFL-CIO for 11 years. He's now the congressman from Michigan's 9th Congressional District. And he said that uh, Rich was in his element with President Biden, the most pro-worker leader our country has had in generations, poised to do whatever it takes to pass the PRO Act and open a new era of worker voice and power across the land. Now that this lion of labor has fallen so unexpectedly, we will redouble our efforts in his honor. And from uh, Dr. Everett Kelly, who heads up the American Federation of Government Employees, said uh, Rich was an inspirational labor leader, a friend to workers everywhere, but he was a special friend to federal and D.C. government workers. From Pride at Work, Rich was an ally to LGBTQ working people as well, speaking loudly and often about the need to pass the Equality Act and other LGBTQ inclusive legislation within the labor movement. He was an advocate for LGBTQ inclusive contracts and reminded union leaders of the need for better inclusion in our ranks. And finally, Liz Schuler, Secretary Treasurer of the AFL-CIO, second in command to Rich Trumpka, who said today, we are not done yet. Rich would never allow it. Now more than ever, we must come together as one federation to carry out the mission Rich devoted his life to. That is how we honor his legacy. That's going to do it for today's edition of Your Rights at Work. Thanks so much to Mike and Kalia for engineering. Thanks for listening. Be sure to support WPFW. We'll talk to you next week. Hello, working people of Southwest Washington. You're listening to episode 21 of Working to Live in Southwest Washington, produced by the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. We're also a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, with over 100 radio shows and podcasts for working people just like you. Find out more about the network at laborradionetwork.org. I'm Shannon Myers. And I'm Harold Phillips. We're recording this on Thursday, August 5th, and uh, it's been a rough day, huh? Well, I usually joke at the beginning of our show, but today I just, I didn't feel like joking. And the reason I don't is because the labor movement, working people, suffered a great loss today, a loss of our leader, President Richard Trumka. Um, I was sitting at home doing work, and I get the text message from my husband, who also is a union member, and he texts me that, that Trump is gone. And my first text back was, what the f***? We just had a meeting with him yesterday talking about the PRO Act. And now he's gone. What a yeah. crappy day. Yeah. Richard Trumka's death has sent shockwaves through the labor community across the country and right here in the state of Washington. We wanted to take a little time to reflect on what Trumpka meant to the labor movement and what his passing means for working people everywhere, but particularly here in the Evergreen State. To help us do that, we're joined by Bob Carroll. He's the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council's vice president and also the president of the Columbia Pacific Building and Construction Trades Council. Good evening, everyone. We're also joined by Randall Friesen. He's the secretary treasurer of the Southwest Washington Central Labor Council. Good evening. It was sad news to hear of his passing. And we're joined by Tina Morrison, secretary treasurer of the Spokane Regional Labor Council. Thanks for joining us, Tina. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, I was on a organizer's Zoom meeting this morning, and one of the fellows spoke up and told us that Richard Trump had passed away, and I was shocked. It was really um, so unexpected. You know, he's such a powerful person and personality. Uh, it was really mind-blowing to think that uh, that he's gone. And before we go much further, I just want to mention that we put out the call to working people throughout Washington state to let them know that they could share their memories of Richard Trumka as well. So throughout today's episode, you're going to hear some different voices of people who want to tell you what Richard Trumka meant to them. So some of you have already talked about this, but uh, how are you doing? I mean, it's been 12 hours now since the news broke. How are you holding up? It's still a little shocking. He was such a force in the labor movement. 
and he built such a base for us to work on. We are small pieces scattered all over this country, and we're going to continue the legacy that he really built. That's what I'm keeping in mind. And I know that's what he would want to. It's difficult when you don't know somebody, right? And even though he was passionate and compassionate, and he was very strong and vigilant, in the end of the day, you're still just a human. We're all, we're all humans. And um, I think it hits us even more because we realize that in the end of the day or the end of your life, you are just a person. And it's hard to think of the words to describe how that feels because his passing more than just him dying as a leader, he died as a human being and he died in the middle of a fight that he believed in. It's hard to quantify that and it's hard to put into words what that feels like. And it kind of hits you all at the last minute like a, like a ton of bricks. In the end of the day, he's just a guy. And he uh, gave his life and devoted himself to the movement. I'll miss all of the times that he came and visited us in Washington state. We have lots and lots of pictures of Trumpka coming to our conventions, talking about our issues, visiting us here in Vancouver. He represented all in this country, not just D.C. And he always came to let us know what he's working on and what, what are our concerns? What are we feeling out here? I know that the AFL is in good hands, um, but he was a leader in so many things as far as gender justice, racial justice, you know, justice on the job. I mean, a leader in so many things. I'm April Sims of Tacoma, and I serve as secretary treasurer of the Washington State Labor Council AFL-CIO. And on behalf of President Larry Brown and the staff of the council, I wanted to express our profound sense of loss over the passing of AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka. President Trumka dedicated his life to the dignity of workers, from his earliest days with the United Mine Workers to his leadership of the nation's largest labor organization. Everything he did was intended to lift up working people and improve our quality of life. Just two weeks ago, we were honored to have President Trumka as the keynote speaker at our 2021 convention. He told our delegates, and I quote, this is our moment, this is our calling, to provide a better life for our families because that's what labor unions have always done. I've lived it, I'm here because of it. We know who we are and we are ready for our date with destiny. President Trumka was talking about legislation that would restore America's freedoms to join together in unions. And as far as we're concerned, that bill should now be the Richard L. Trumka Protecting the Right to Organize Act. We at the Washington State Labor Council intend to honor his legacy and keep our date with destiny by getting his PRO Act passed. Rest in power, brother. Sharika Carter, Political and Strategic Campaigns Director at the Washington State Labor Council. The sudden passing of President Richard Trumka is a monumental loss for all of us in this labor movement but we can honor his life's work and remarkable legacy by continuing the fight for racial and economic justice for all workers. As a young worker and as a young labor leader, his support and investments into Next Up, YWAC, the Leadership Institute, and the OIT have been programs that have shaped, developed, and molded me into the leader that I am today. Through those programs, I met my comrades and developed relationships that will last a lifetime. I am eternally grateful for his leadership and vision and belief in the next generation of labor leaders. May I and all my co-conspirators in this work honor him by continuing the fight because as he would say it, we ain't done yet. Rest in power, brother. Rest in peace, brother. We'll take it from here. We'll see you soon. Bye. Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash. Let's go to a line number one. And welcome, almost a regular on this show. Each and every month we check in with The Nation magazine. And joining us on our live line is John Nichols, who's been on the show many, many times. And John wrote a really good piece on Rich Trumka, the passing of Rich Trumka at the age of 72. Shocked so many in the labor movement, including John. Hey, John, welcome back to the show. Thanks for joining us today. 
It's an honor to be with you, my friend, and, and, a, and a real pleasure to be able to talk about uh, Rich Tronco, one of the, one of the really good guys in, in our long struggle for labor rights. The thing about Rich Trunka, the thing to remember is that he was a worker first. Uh, he went down into the mines as a, as a very young man, uh, worked the black scene, as they say. And uh, this was in southwest Pennsylvania. And while he was mining, while he was working as his father and grandfather had, he also was pursuing an education. Uh, he got a college degree and then went on to get a law degree. Uh, came up out of the mines and became a lawyer for the United Mine Workers Union. If you remember, uh, with the mine workers back in the 70s, that was an incredibly turbulent time. They had you know, real brutal battles uh, over the leadership of that union. Uh, they were violent. Uh, there, was charge, there were charges of corruption. And uh, Rich Trumka led, or became very much a leader in, uh, a movement of reformers. Uh, who sought to uh, move the union uh, to a, a better place. And at the mm-hmm. age of 33, he got elected as the head of the Mine Workers Union. Uh, the thing to, other thing to remember is that, that he came up at a time when Reagan was breaking the air traffic controllers, when unions were under a lot of assault at home, and it would have been quite predictable for him just to, to focus on the... the the basic struggles that miners were involved in in the U.S., but he had this much view, and I think it's one of the things that that really established him as as a major labor leader. Uh, he very quickly after coming in uh, opened up a, a office of solidarity with black mine workers in South Africa, who were obviously suffering under the apartheid system at that time. And mm-hmm. uh, when those mine workers in South Africa asked uh, for a boycott of Royal Dutch Shell, the company that had uh, so many investments in South Africa and was really shoring up the apartheid regime. Trumka didn't just endorse that boycott. He became the leader of it in the United States. And many, many activists across the country came to know Rich Trumka first uh, as uh, an anti-apartheid activist, as somebody fighting for racial justice. And that really was a, a central part of his message and his work throughout his career. He was first and foremost leader of American workers, but he had a, a view that was very international and that was also very much committed to uh, social and racial justice. Talk to me about uh, what was this, this bitter strike? It was uh, Piston Coal. And that was, yep. I believe, yep. in the uh, the late 80s. Was that when that happened or the early 90s? No, late 80s. And, and uh, kind of some of the struggles stretched on for quite a while. Uh, but yeah. it was a remarkable, remarkable struggle. It was down in southwest Virginia in a part of the country where, uh, frankly, not a lot of media attention tends to go. And uh, the labor movement itself was, again, as we've talked about, you know, under attack in a lot of places. And when the miners uh, struck there, and this is for health care benefits and, and for a lot of other protections, they, they weren't getting attention. They weren't getting you know, the, the support they needed. And so Trump kind of decided to, do so, to go big on this struggle. And he uh, turned their strike into something much more than just a strike, much more than just a picket line. Uh, they created uh-huh. an encampment. People came from all over the country uh, to, you know, basically moved into Southwest Virginia and support those miners. And they created women's solidarity groups. They created student solidarity groups. They built it into something really big that anticipated the Occupy Wall Street movement. In fact, in many ways, uh, many of the same models and same structures for organizing decades before Occupy Wall Street. And the remarkable thing is that in that Pittston struggle with all of these new techniques for organizing, for building out models, for fighting a big corporation, they won. Uh, the miners mm-hmm. prevailed. And they didn't get everything they asked for. They, you know, it's very hard to do that. But they got, uh, they got their critical demands met. And it was just a remarkable strike, one that's very worthy of remembering. 
Well, he had the miners in his heart and soul. I don't know if you know this, but the day before he died, he rallied the striking miners at Warrior Met. I don't know if you've been following that story. They're yep, down in I Alabama. That, yeah, they've been on strike since the beginning of April. And uh, there was a rally, and they had brothers and sisters all around the country. I know there was a group from Pennsylvania. I had the uh, Pennsylvania AFL-CIO on the show, and they were getting a bunch of their miners together to go down there. That was the day right before he died, and he went on the picket line and supported them. Oh, yeah. and said, and he was on, And he's in the middle of his family vacation. I mean, that just shows oh, yeah. you what kind of dedicated guy that he was. Let's fast forward to the 2008 presidential race. He was still... Secretary Treasurer of the Labor Federation at that time, and John Sweeney was still the president. And uh, there was some animosity by a number of people, and we're talking union brothers and sisters, about whether or not a black guy should be elected president. I want to play a clip of uh, Rich at a United Steelworkers convention in July of 2008. Let's listen here on America's Workforce. Now, I'm not one for quoting dead philosophers. But back in the 1700s, Edmund Burke said, all that is necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Well, there is no evil that's inflicted more pain and more suffering than racism. And it's something that we in the labor movement have a very, very special responsibility to challenge. It's our special responsibility because we know better than anyone else how racism is used to divide working people. We've seen how companies set workers against worker. They throw white workers a few crumbs. They discriminate against black workers or Latino workers, and we all, we all end up losing. But we've seen something else, too. We've seen that when we have the courage the good sense, the trade union values to cross the color line and stand together, arms locked. No one, no one has ever been able to keep us down. Big shoes to fill, no doubt. John, thank you so much. John Nichols, National Affairs Correspondent for The Nation magazine in the article Rich Trumka, 1949-2021. The labor leader practiced true solidarity from his days as an anti-apartheid activist to his bold embrace of immigrant rights and Black Lives Matter. You take care, stay safe, and I'm sure we'll be talking down the road. All right, buddy? I would love to do it. I look forward to it, my friend. Again, John Nichols of The Nation magazine. You can find more at thenation.com. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com. This is State of the Unions. I'm Tim Schlitner. And I'm Carolyn Bob. And we want to welcome you back to the podcast. State of the Unions. We are honored to be joined today for our Labor Day special by the proud union member, Secretary Marty Walsh. Secretary Walsh, thank you for being here. Thank you, Tim and Carolyn. I appreciate it. I look forward to this for a little bit. So I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Wanted to start with your reflections on the passing of President Trumpka, what you knew of him as a man and a, a fellow labor leader, and what you've been thinking about, Rich, as we've gone through this tough moment. When I got the word a couple weeks ago, I was completely shocked. The day before he passed, he had called me advocating on behalf of electricians in the CWA for the bipartisan agenda bill that passed, the infrastructure bill. He had some concerns around not having labor protections in it for broadband and also for the electric charging station. And I was at an event that day in New York City, and I instantly told him I'd call him right back. I made some phone calls. I spoke to my team to let me know that there was Davis-Baker provision in there for the electric charging stations and that the broadband that we were going to be working with Secretary Raimondo. And I called Richard Trunka back and I talked to him about that. And he was on vacation. He was camping. And I didn't know that. So he said, thanks, brother. Appreciate you getting right back to me. And we hung up. And then the next day, I got a phone call 
that he had passed away. And I've had a lot of time to think over the last couple of weeks to think about the impact he's had on the labor movement. But my first time meeting President Trump, I was a state representative and made president of my local union. And, and he came to the Building Trades Convention. I had a chance to meet with him and talk to him. And he, you know, he gave a speech there, fiery speech, banging the podium. And I was like, who is this guy? And kind of it was my first time meeting him personally. And, and over the years, we became dear friends. And his leadership was amazing. Last week, I had the chance to go to a coal mine in West Virginia. I went down the coal mine, 600 feet down, four and a half miles out. And I thought about Rick Trumpet doing this ride that I was doing today and how he went from the coal mine to the head of the AFL-CIO in his journey and how remarkable that is. And he was a friend to the voiceless. Granted, he was the president of the AFL-CIO, but he represented every single worker in America, whether you're a gig worker, whether you were a non-union worker, whether you're an independent contractor worker, he represented you all. And that's who he was. And that's who he fought for. And back in December of this year, I was in there and he called me and he said, you know, I want to tell you something, Mr. Mayor. He said, what is Mr. President? He said, nah, I'm advocating for you. You're the only thing I want out of this administration. I want you to become Secretary of Labor. And he went to the wall and there were some other folks that were union members that were going for the job. And he went public on it and said, I'm with Marty Walsh. And the day I got the call from the president, Richard was one of the first calls I made. And I just, um, the president just called me and he was so happy. He was so happy. Then he switched his only priority and it was passing the Pro Act. <laughs> <laughs> and that's who he was. He's going to be missed. He certainly was a great leader in this country. His son gave an amazing eulogy at his mass the other day and just gave insight to who he was as a person. And that's how he was as a dad. That's how he was as a union leader. That's how he was as a mind worker. So he's truly going to be missed. Thank you. Thank you so much. We've been talking with Secretary of Labor, Marty Walsh. Really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks, Tim. Thank you, Carolyn. And it's awesome. And happy Labor Day to everybody. Happy Labor Day. Thank you, All right. Keep up the good work. This has been State of the Unions. Thanks for listening. Join us every other Monday for a conversation about the labor movement, organizing, and all the things that affect us at work. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing and rating us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, keep up to date on all things labor by following us at AFL-CIO. You're listening to WLPN 105.5 FM Chicago, and you're listening to Labor Express Radio, which calls only labor news and current affairs radio program. News for working people by working people. I'm your host, Jeremy Lacero, and this is the Sunday, September 5th, 2021 edition of Labor Express. Happy Labor Day Eve to all. Hopefully you're enjoying your holiday weekend, and hopefully it's a at least three-day weekend and a paid one at that. We're devoting tonight's full program to remembering the late Richard Trumka, president of the AFL-CIO, who passed away exactly a month ago on August 5th. Stephen Ashby is a professor in the Chicago Labor Education Program in the School of Labor and Employment Relations at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Stephen has also been an activist in the labor movement since at least the early 90s. Well, how do we assess Rich Trumka? He was articulate. He was so articulate. He was passionate, really good speaker. Um, and likable. I knew him, and uh, I think everybody that had a long conversation with him found him really affable, really a pleasant, charming guy, uh, in addition to his intelligence. And he had a social justice focus. Um, But I guess, uh, in some ways, I guess I was thinking about this earlier today, I would compare him to Barack Obama, and that I think Barack Obama had all those characteristics as well. There were a lot of high hopes for him. He came from minors for democracy. He came from a bottom-up unionism idea, from overthrowing an authoritarian leadership. Uh, the famous 
strike at Pitts to the Mine Workers when he was the head of that union in 89-90 had 5,000 arrests. And they repeatedly ignored the injunctions. And he would give speech after speech about, well, to use Dr. King's words in Memphis shortly before he was assassinated, supporting the sanitation workers. We're not going to let any injunctions turn us around. Uh, so there was a lot of hope, myself and others, that he would push for more member involvement. He would push for the power of union democracy, push for more nonviolent civil disobedience and labor, push for national solidarity for major strikes. Um, and really none of that happened. And I guess you could, it was compared to the, his predecessor, John Sweeney, it was more, more of the same. Sweeney brought in some changes and Rich certainly brought in some changes and did some great things. But given the existential threat to the labor movement, the, the serious threat by the billionaires and their front groups and their supporters in Congress to wipe out the entire labor movement, given that level of attack, the status quo just does not work for labor anymore. Is it possible you think that his moving from the mine workers into the AFL-CIO, that experience with the mine workers, but that the experience of being in the leadership of the AFL-CIO is really what held him back? Well, yes and no. I think the, the job itself has conservative pressures to do very little because it's an umbrella group and you don't want to offend any one of the 56 affiliates, the national unions. But I mean, in Wisconsin, where we have hundreds of thousands of people who came to protest in early 2011 and an occupation of the state capital that was, people came to Wisconsin were exhilarated, were so inspired. And Rich Trump certainly went there and gave speeches. But in the end, his leadership and the AFL-CIO in Wisconsin said, stop the protests. We're not comfortable with this. Stop the occupation of the Capitol building, electoral politics. Let's do the recall effort. And, uh, and that which was obviously a defeat, did not work. That's just the way the AFL-CIO was. And that's, I think that's the way Rich became. Everything, he didn't come to Wisconsin and say, you know what? The Madison Central Labor Council wants to start a discussion about a general strike. And those strikes built the labor movement in 34 and again in 46. They're instrumental in building the labor movement. And maybe we should have that discussion. And I'll tell you what I think, why it might be a good idea. He did not do that. He didn't say, let's expand the nonviolent civil disobedience. Let's do what we did at Pittston. Let's have thousands and tens of thousands daily getting arrested. No, he just said, well, electoral politics is the way and we'll get rid of Governor Walker through a recall. And that, of course, didn't work. How do you assess a man like Trumpka in his career as a labor leader? I think it's certainly clear that Trumpka was a complex man, inspirational at his best, but ineffective in the ultimate goal of changing the direction of the labor movement and turning around the one-sided class war that we're still losing. It's the ideas and actions of the young Trumpka that are central to building the democratic progressive militant labor movement we so desperately need. In my view, Trumpka is a real working class hero who gave up the fight way too soon and gave in to the inertia of the edifice of organized labor in this country. To quote an August 13th Labor Notes article on Trumpka's legacy, the percentage of workers in this country in unions was an historic low of 14.9% when Trumpka first came into leadership in the AFL-CIO. It's now 10.8%, a damning figure. However, his embrace of new forms of worker organization like worker centers and of the young militants coming out of the anti-racist and immigrant social movements could perhaps be the key to the labor movement transformation he failed to achieve. We don't have time in this one program to explore all these complexities of Trump's life of commitment to the labor movement. Hopefully this program will contribute to the sober assessment that I think is necessary of the Trump years as we move forward and continue to struggle for a renewed labor movement. All I can say for now is rest in power, Brother Trumpka. That's all for tonight's program. Labor Express is a nonprofit 51c3 member of IBEW Local 1220. Views expressed on Labor Express are those of producers, not necessarily those of IBEW. Labor Express is a production of the Committee for Labor Access in Chicago, the world capital of the labor movement. Labor Express is a proud member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, working people's voices broadcasting worldwide 24 hours a day. Find out more at laborradionetwork.org. The song is our theme is called Worker Songs, written by Ed Pickford and recorded by the Dropkick Murphys. Tune in every Sunday at 8 p.m. and Monday at 11 a.m. on 105.5 FM or lumpenradio.com for more Labor Express.
1931, he had a wife and two sons. He worked in the coal mines back then. In the West Virginia hills, he worked hard to pay his bills. Most everyone was proud to call him friend. Daddy was a coal mining man, living in the coal fields back then. He dug that old black. Chris Garlock here with this week's Labor History Today. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to Labor History Today on your favorite podcast app, where you can also spread the word by liking and following us. You can't know where you're going if you don't understand where you came from. There are no new strategies in this world. They only are adapted to what you have. On September 17, 1989, union mine workers occupied the Pittston Coal Company's Moss 3 preparation plant in Carbon, Virginia, beginning a year-long strike. Labor History Today's Joe McCartan sat down with AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka to discuss this historic strike. Trumka led the mine workers during the Pittston strike and went on to be elected president of the AFL-CIO on September 16, 2009. So you take over the mine workers after a period of turmoil in the union as we at a time when employers are trying to break the union. Uh, and at a time when a president is in the White House who probably does more damage to the labor movement than anybody since before Roosevelt. So what was it like to come into the leadership of a historic union in that moment? You remember during that period of time, everybody, everybody was making concessions, uh, giving back stuff. So I said, we're not going to take concessions, we're not going to go backwards. And everybody said, you're crazy, this industry's Mm -hmm. coming after you and they're going to, you're going to have to give concessions or you're going to have to fight. And I said, we're going to fight. And then we uh, ran into a a company uh, by the name of uh, Pittston at that period of time. And so they said, we're going to take you on. And I said, Mm. Well, you may, yeah. uh, but we're gonna we're gonna fight you. Uh, and uh, prior to that time, prior to the, we had a special convention mm. uh, in 1985, and I did two things at that convention. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I created a strike fund, and in mm-hmm. in matter of a little over a year, mm-hmm. uh, we created a hundred million dollar strike fund, wow. uh, which was formidable. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so we created a strike fund, and we did away with the provision in the contract. We used to have a provision in the contract, the mine workers' contract, that says no contract, no work. Mm. So they could predict a second right. that you were going to go on strike. Right. And I said, I'm not willing to give them that kind of predictability. Yeah. So I did away with that. Uh, we got I got the miners to do away with that provision, changed our constitution that gave me the ability to call a strike or not to call a strike. Right. Uh, and so with Pittston, uh, we didn't call a strike so uh, when a contract expired. One of the really interesting things about what you're saying here is that I would imagine that Pittston probably wanted a strike in some ways because you think about how employers were breaking unions in the 80s, like uh, Hormel, uh, sure. Greyhound, um, yeah. you know, um, Phelps Dodge and others. So, And, and the, uh, the, the, the union movement right. desperately needed a win right. to break that cycle. Right. Because after after Reagan broke to PATCO, right. he said to every employer out there, it's okay to break unions, yeah. go have it. Right. Uh, and a lot of them did. You just yeah. named the list, uh, yeah. a partial list right. uh, of uh, things that happened. Yeah. There were a lot more. Uh, and so Pittston was looking forward to that. Right. They had hired uh, a biker gang to be their scabs. Wow. Uh, and um, they wanted us to go on strike, and we didn't go on strike at first. Mm-hmm. We stayed and we worked to the contract, and we didn't for two reasons mm-hmm. go on strike. One, I didn't want to give them the predictability, and right. two, well, we really weren't prepared. Our guys weren't prepared to, to go on strike yet. So we had to train them, and we trained them in peaceful civil disobedience, which was mm-hmm. probably a break from uh, a lot of the past, particularly in parts of Appalachia where this was happening. Sure. Uh, and so we trained them in peaceful civil disobedience, uh, and we had we worked to the rule for a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it's tough for my guys to work to the rule. Yeah. Because when they get in the mine, 
All they want to do is load coal. Right. They're just hard workers, and they don't know anything else. They just, right. they just go do it. Uh, and so uh, it gave us the time we needed to, to train everybody, mm-hmm. to get the word out, to mm-hmm. prepare, to ask for help from the AFL-CIO and the labor movement. You remember, mm-hmm. we weren't affiliated with the AFL-CIO back at that period of time. Right. The affiliation came, came right afterward. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, the other unions were were incredible uh, in their support and solidarity. Mm-hmm. And then we, uh, after we worked through that, we decided there was an opportune time for us to go on strike uh, because they had orders coming up, and we were able to do it. Mm-hmm. And you did use those nonviolent tactics. We did. Um, how did that come about, and um, how successful was that? Yeah, and how did your guys respond to that? As you say, this is not in the culture necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> At first, they, they they kept looking sort of with the jaundiced eye. And they were wearing them. camouflage and stuff. We did, we did that for two reasons. Okay. Uh, we wore camouflage. One, um, frequently in the past when something would happen, mm-hmm. uh, they would say to... Uh, uh, a scab or a management guy. Okay, who did that? Right. Who threw a rock? Who did this? And they yeah. would get, the guy in the red hat. Yeah. Right. Lying. Yeah. But he had somebody but, to pick out. Yeah. That's how I knew because right. he had a red hat. Right. So we had everybody wear camouflage. And what did he say? It was the guy in the camouflage. Yeah. We were all an army. A individ not known more individuals. Mm-hmm. We were one homogeneous solidarity mm-hmm. army in solidarity. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was one reason we did that. Uh, the second reason we did it, it was cheap. Uh, <laughs> most of our guys already had camera. So so it was <laughs> they wore it hunting it, it, Yeah, hunting, everything. You know? So it was it was a natural color for yeah. us to to have. Right. And, and it did. It signified the army that we were. Mm-hmm. And we were all no more individuals. We were all mm-hmm. one. Uh, and it worked out real well. Seemed like the probably the most successful deployment of nonviolence, massive civil disobedience since the civil rights movement. Maybe indeed, we uh, we had probably uh, I, I I think the the records show well, almost five thousand, but in in reality, uh, there were probably uh, almost double that mm-hmm. uh, because they didn't keep records uh, at the first until mm-hmm. they started bringing the the buses in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we asked people... Who got arrested, you mean? Yeah. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah, so we, we probably had about 8,000 people uh, that got arrested in peaceful mm-hmm. civil disobedience there, mm-hmm. uh, including Lane Kirkland, yeah. uh, myself, and a num- number right. of others. But uh, when, when people would say, what can we do to help you? Right. We would say, come to Camp Saul. Mm. Uh, Camp Solidarity, every Wednesday we had a giant rally. Mm. Uh, people would come for the rally, they would send money, they'd bring stuff. Mm. And uh, it was like an infectious thing. Mm. When you left Camp Solidarity, you were full of solidarity for sure, because mm. you saw it there. Uh, we went, that strike lasted almost a year, and not a single mine worker crossed the picket line. Wow. Not one. Wow. Not one crossed the picket line. We That's were proud remarkable. of that. And uh, so miners came from all around to, to help us. And the AFL-CIO was a tremendous help. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the unions were a tremendous help. Uh, and um, that solidarity allowed us to, allowed our people to give them the, the courage to continue on every day. Well, as you say, this was something the labor movement desperately needed after, you know, eight years of Reagan and that disaster. Yeah. Yeah, because everybody until that time, no one had, had conducted a successful strike until Pittston. Right. And that really was the turning point. Right. After Pittston, more people started doing successful strikes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it was uh, our, our contribution back to the mine, to yeah. the labor movement saying, here's one more uh, place where the mine workers can, can make a contribution and help with the solidarity. I mean, you know our history. Right. Uh, we organized all the major industrial unions with right. with our money and our organizers, right. and gave them their union. And so, mm-hmm. uh, this was yet another way that we were able to pitch in and and be helpful. United we stand, divided we fall. For every time they give us a battle, must be
That's it for this special edition of the Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, our roundup of highlights from just a few of the nearly 150 Labor Radio shows and podcasts that make up the Labor Radio Podcast Network. We've got links to all the network shows at laborradionetwork.org, including complete versions of the shows you heard today. And you can also find them by using the hashtag LaborRadioPod on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The Labor Radio Podcast Weekly Special Edition was edited and produced by me and our social media guru, as always, is Mr. Harold Phillips. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Labor Radio Net. Find out more on our website at laborradionetwork.org. For Labor Radio Podcast Weekly, this is Chris Garlock. Stay active and stay tuned to your local Labor Radio Podcast show. Thank you.